So, <laughs> I don't know what you thought about Christmas Day, but hey, I mean, you got to see the greatest boy band possibly in the history of, of the world, and I, and, I, and I hope it was amazing for you, and I hope when you look back at this Christmas, it's going to be one of the features. I suspect that, that as we age and as new generations arrive, I suspect some of them are going to look back on this Christmas as being the annoying Christmas, the Christmas where we tell all those stories of that Christmas, and they're like, oh, get over it, Grandpa. You know that. I mean, for me, this is going to be the first, this was the first Christmas, apart from the first one I ever had, which I think I was probably still in the hospital, uh, that I'm not going to actually be physically inside a church building. And so there's all sorts of weird stuff. One of the things I don't want us to lose as we look back and as we look forward is I don't want us to lose that joy. I don't want us to lose that joy that, that we celebrated two days ago. I don't want us to lose that, that knowledge that, that joy had come to the entire world. And so for me, it's so important that that joy must continue and that we mustn't waste our joy. I don't know what kind of wastages trigger you. I think we all have those little things where, where a particular kind of waste just, just gets our goat. And let's, let's be honest, this world that we live in, there is an enormous amount of wastage that goes on in our world. But, but a person that always comes to my mind when I think about wasting is my late brother's father-in-law. His name was Dietmar Furster. And, and I can remember once being at the house, they had a, such a hospitable home. Anybody, every Sunday after church, every Sunday people would be invited to their home to come and have dinner and just, and just hang out and then for coffee. They were some of the most hospitable people I've ever met. But one day, I was in the kitchen kind of helping with stuff, and, and Dietmar just lost it. He went to the bread bin, and he opened the bread bin, and he took out some moldy bread. Now, it didn't, it didn't look as bad as that moldy bread, but he just lost it. And he was going on about wastage and how could people be so irresponsible. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, as I got to know him, I learned that he grew up in Germany, East Germany, during the Second World War. And bread was so severely rationed that every day his father used to weigh out every family member's portion of bread on a postage scale to make sure everybody got the same amount. And so that's why wastage of bread just triggered him. I wonder what God feels like when we celebrate this joy of Christmas and, 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 and you know, put all this effort into it and, 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 and are so full with all sorts of joy and then, and then it's done. I wonder if God is sometimes saddened by the possibility that you and I waste joy. 
And I don't want us to waste joy. I want us to be able to take this joy that we've celebrated this past season and take it into the new year. I don't want us to put our joy down with the presents and the nice meals and all of that. And when we take the decorations down, we take the joy down. And I honestly don't believe God wants us to waste that joy either. In fact, one of the, one of the beautiful things that we read in a Christmas story is how the joy continued. How, how that moment of joy, that moment when the, when the, when the shepherds arrived and when, and when the, the wise men were there and all of that amazing stuff was over, the joy wasn't over. And in fact, in Luke chapter two, the passage we've been looking at over Christmas, we, we see how the joy continues. And what, what I love about this continuation of joy is that it's, it, it's a continuation of the same story. But it's not about big celebration. It's about joy in ordinariness. And so there are three stories that I want to highlight, and, and they're not long. You should go and read them. Please do after this in Luke chapter 2. And the first story is about a man called Simeon. Simeon was an old man who, who every day, the Bible says, was in the temple. And, and, and Simeon, Simeon's life goal was to see God's glory coming. His, his whole life was focused on, on the Messiah. And, and, and he'd given his entire life in asking God, God, please just let me be there when the Messiah comes. And so it's now eight days after Jesus is born. And it's, uh, Mary's probably still in pain. I mean, it's only eight days. And now they've got to go to the temple to, to have Jesus circumcised. Now, now I mean, it, it, we do, we romanticize the Christian story, but, but Mary and Joseph don't arrive there as unique people. Um, they, they don't have halos around their heads. They're not, they're not glowing. They're just another small family. You see, this was something that every single Israelite would have to do. Uh, a firstborn son, the law of Israel said, needed to be redeemed. He needed to be brought back. Every firstborn child in Israel belonged to God. And the family, in a sense, paid God for that child by presenting him in the temple, making a sacrifice, and then having him circumcised. And there would have been lots of families doing it together. It wouldn't have just been this unique, special, angel halo moment. Although it was incredibly incredibly meaningful, it was also ordinary. It's what every Israelite did. And so there, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus arrive to do this thing that they had to do and they meet a man called Simeon. He's just another old man 
in the temple. And the Bible tells us that as he arrived, he walked, as, as they arrived, Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, walked up to them. And you know what it's like with a new baby. If you remember before COVID, everybody wants to hold the new baby. And Simeon is no different. And he asks Mary and Joseph if he can hold this tiny baby. And they hand Jesus to him. And Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. <laughs> what, a, what a picture. Most Israelites were expecting the, the Messiah to arrive as a warrior on a chariot. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to crush Rome and be this mighty military leader. But this old man, led by the Holy Spirit, arrives at that moment and knows that he has seen God's salvation. He's held him in his arms. Now he goes on to say some other things to Mary and Joseph, but he basically he's saying, God, I am so filled with joy right now, I can walk away and I can die. I'm gonna die happy because I've seen your Messiah. And, and then just after that, somebody else arrives, an old woman. Her name was Anna and she was deep in her 80s. Bible tells us that she was a prophetess, that she used to spend every day in the temple, and that she'd been a widow for most of her life, for a very, very, very long time. And she'd made it her mission to be a worshiper. That's, that's what she did. She went every day. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter two, verse 37. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Again, another one of those old people. Just, she's there. Can I hold the baby? And, and, and she, unlike Simeon, who has something to say over Jesus, she, she just holds the baby, and I'm, I'm, I guess there was, she, you know, I mean, old people and babies, it's what it is. But it says that after that, she just, she just went to speak to everybody. Not about herself. Not about her experience or her worship or her commitment, but about the redemption of Israel. Her joy continued. 
But this isn't a story just about an old man and an old woman. This is also a story about a mom and dad. I, I love imagining what it was like to be the mother and father of Jesus. <laughs> it just—it must have been epic. It must have been hard. It must have been, well, it was life-changing. But here, these two people come, not to present the Messiah, not to make a fuss of themselves, not to, to, not to show off, but just to obey what the Lord commanded them to do. A young mom and a young dad with their first child. And they, they go through all these experiences, they see all these things, they hear all these things. And then Luke tells us this in verse 33 of chapter two. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then later on in verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. We know how ordinary these people were. Yes, we've romanticized them, but these people were ordinary. The sacrifice, the Bible tells us in Luke that, that Mary and Joseph made to buy back Jesus was a sacrifice of two doves, or two pigeons. If you go back in the Old Testament and you read about that system, that was, that was a sacrifice specifically made by people who were poor, by people who didn't have a lot. This wasn't a sacrifice for rich people. They, they had to make bigger sacrifices. And so this, this really is, on the one hand, one of these most amazing, eternal, glorious stories, but it is so ordinary. But it is filled with this joy that came into the world on Christmas Day. God, God's plan God's passion, God's desire is that you and I, his people today, don't just celebrate the joy and the marvel and the salvation of Christmas at Christmas, but that we continue it. That joy continues. And the beautiful thing is that, that in, in, in this story, these three peoples, these Four people's story. We, we see how it is that joy can continue. That we don't have to rely on big celebrations, but that joy can continue. The joy of God can continue every day. Here are just a few of the, of the, of the lessons that you and I can, can take hold of as we determine to continue joy out of this year and into next. All of these people's joy was built on simple obedience. 
simple obedience. The, the obedience of, of Jesus' mom and dad was a simple obedience. Two doves, two pigeons. Nothing big, nothing spectacular, just doing those things that they knew God wanted them to do. There are times, I think, when, when, we, when we somehow think that the big joy can only happen in the big moments. But nowhere in Scripture do we see that, that, that joy is always tied to big moments. Over and over again, we discover how it is tied to simple obediences, like the obedience of Mary and Joseph like the obedience of Simeon, an old man who was just in the temple, like the obedience of Anna, who just every day prayed and fasted, did the ordinary things. One of the greatest gifts that God gives us is that his joy is found in simple obedience. Second, picture we see in these stories is that often joy is able to continue because of selfless patience. Particularly Anna, but Simeon as well. This moment for them comes at the end of their whole life's journey. For years they had been doing the same thing and here's what's beautiful, it, it wasn't for themselves. Both of them were there on behalf of their people. They weren't there for their own selfish reasons. They were there because, because they wanted to know and see and experience and connect with the Savior of their nation. Both of them don't hold this to themselves, immediately they begin to share it with others. I know grandparents can be annoying. I know that, that we, we, we're full of it too much. But why is it that we want to share our experience with our grandchildren? Because we want the rest of the world to know what it's like. And I know you can't experience until you're a grandparent, but but you will. As they held Jesus in their arms, their joy was full because it was born out of patience and selflessness. The third massively important lesson we learn about joy in the story is that often continued joy is built in to the acceptance of suffering. Somehow we've learned in our world that, that suffering and joy are the opposite, that, that if we suffer, we can't experience joy. If you read the Bible, you will see how over and over and over again we are taught and shown that actually so much joy comes out of suffering. Listen to what Simeon says about Jesus. Luke 2, 34, then Simeon blessed them, so Mary and Joseph and the baby, he blessed them, 
and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. <laughs> Not the, the birth of the baby card you'd want to get, is it? That card that tells you this isn't gonna be easy. We know that Jesus' mother suffered immensely. We know that Jesus himself suffered enormously. We know that in the history of the church, and especially the early church, that suffering was a massive part of what they experienced sometimes every day. But we also know that joy overwhelmed them. Church family, we are going to suffer. This year is going to be hard. We don't know when things are going to go back to normal. We don't. But we can't let our joy be stolen from us because of suffering. In fact, these three, four people teach us that we will experience greater joy if we understand that suffering is part of what can bring us joy. Here's what's beautiful. Continued joy is always on offer. Because it's a gift from God, we learned that the Sunday before Christmas, if you remember, that, that joy is always on offer. After hearing all of those things and after experiencing all of that strange stuff and, and, and everything around the birth of Jesus, Luke tells us this in verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town, from Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. <laughs> I wonder what it's like to be the parents of Jesus. And the child grew and became strong and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Is there anything more that a parent could, could ask God to give them in a child? This joy, this gift of unspeakable joy is always on offer. It's always there for God's people. And I pray that as we end this year and as we step into the new year with Jesus at our side and in our hearts, that we will be people of continued joy and that we will grow strong and be filled with wisdom and the grace of God will be on us just like it was on our Savior. May we end this year full of joy and may we go into the new year filled with a continued joy a joy that is a gift of God to all of us. Let me pray God's blessing on our church family as we end this year together. God, thank you for what you've given us this past year. As 
difficult as it has been, as, as wonderful as it has been, as hard as it has been, as strange as it has been, thank you, Lord, that we've never had to stop being the church, that we've never had to stop being the church, being salt and light. Thank you that we've never had to miss a single Sunday of worshiping you together. And Lord, thank you that that will continue. God, thank you that we as your people have seen your salvation and we can depart in peace because our eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. God, as we step into the new year, may we, may we, may we throw out, may we, may we scatter, may we spread the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we rejoice in you, our Lord and our God and our Savior. Home ground church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen.